Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we long for the day when those things that we just sang about come before our eyes. When we see the glorious colors of heaven. When we join with the saints and the living creatures and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in singing your praises. We live in a world without sin. When we have no more pain or reasons to cry, we long for that, Lord. God, we pray now that you would meet us in this time, that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, that you would draw us to that which you desire. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I find in my experience that when you tell a child to wait for something they want, that one of two things typically happens. That one, this thing they want for, whether it's the opportunity to play for that desired toy or do that desired activity or for the road trip to end, whatever it would be, that the weight of waiting, <clears throat> notice the two different spellings there, the weight of waiting is too much and they crumble under it and they can't handle it and they either continually ask over and over and over again for that desired thing or they just melt down. And they can't handle it. It is too burdensome. And then the second thing that happens is that while waiting, they actually, in a moment of goodness, heed their parents' advice and find an activity with which to busy themselves. Or maybe in the, in the world of the child, that they settle for something less. But in settling for that lesser thing, they become captivated by that lesser thing and forget about, at least for a moment, the really good thing they're waiting for. So they either crumble or they settle in a way that produces contentment. And those of us who have spent any time with kids or have kids of our own can laugh at this, but I think we realize that these brands of impatience never fully leave us. That we tend to hold on to this type of impatience. But maybe as adults, we're just a little better at hiding it. Maybe. But they certainly stick with us. We don't fully outgrow them. And we find ourselves driving maybe a little bit faster at the end of a road trip than we were at the beginning. We find ourselves demanding to speak with the manager or continually asking some poor waitress what's taking so long on our food. Or we get contented with, with lesser things. Knowing there's things we need to do or conversations we need to have, we end up scrolling through our phones 
We procrastinate important tasks, even tasks that are related to things we actually want. We binge on podcasts and streaming, resulting in putting or in punting the relational investments it takes to improve those things we desire. So this crumbling under the weight of impatience or settling for lesser things really come into play for believers as we wait for the return of our Savior. There are some, and and we see these two trends of waiting poorly for the return of Christ. We see them in two ways. One, people get so obsessed with the return of Christ. And they get so obsessed with figuring it out and, and making predictions that they see signs of the return of Christ everywhere they look. Did you see that headline on the farmer who lost a goat? Surely, this is a sign of the coming separation of sheep and goats. The Lord is communicating to us through the quippy news stories right at the end of the broadcast. Or they find it everywhere in Scripture. Based on the average rate of hair growth, Samson would have been imprisoned for this many days before destroying the Philistines. And if we divide that by the number of days that Israel was in the wilderness and multiply it by this one verse in Daniel, then we see that Christ will return October 23rd of 2025. Jesus didn't know it, but I've cracked the code. And we just and then we go into bunker building until then. Or we write really long letters, address them to church, and produce a childlike giddiness in Pastor Austin. (laughs) The other that we do, and I think this is more common for us, is we get so distracted and satisfied in our daily lives And we find so much joy in what this world has to offer that we no longer feel a gospel urgency to be about the master's work while we wait for the master. I think that's where a lot of us tend to live. That we do not live lives informed by the return of Christ. That the Lord is going to come And he's going to want to see his children working for justice, making known his name and dealing with matters of personal holiness. Our text today in Mark 13, we're ending Mark 13, we're ending this uh, relatively long teaching from Jesus in terms of Mark. This is one of the longer teachings, just flat out teachings that we have from Jesus and it pertains to his return. And while we tend to either wait with obsession or wait with apathy, Christ calls us to a different way of waiting that is purposeful and useful. So would you read with me, starting in verse 28. 
From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What Jesus is calling us to is to wait watchfully with absolute confidence. Wait watchfully with absolute confidence. Here again we have what looks like this two-dimensional picture of a mountain range, even as we know that these mountains are in reality quite far off from one another. And as Pastor Austin laid out last week, there is a near and far fulfillment to this passage that we have in Mark 13. And both are clearly in sight as we look at this passage. And so Jesus tells them, as you, just as you know when the fig tree is about to bear fruit, you know that summer's coming. You're going to know that he is at the door. He, the abomination of desolation, is at the door. You're going to see these things taking place. And so there's this near, this near fulfillment of the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70. And then the greater tribulation is the far off fulfillment. And that will be felt worldwide. And so we are all watching and waiting. We need to wait well. We need to watch well. Knowing that, yes, there are increased wars and rumors of wars and increased earthquakes and surprising places. This is but the beginning of the birth pains. And we know that while we wait, it feels imminent for us. And I would argue that it may feel even more imminent for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We wait watchfully with confidence, knowing that the Lord marks time differently than us. And he's not late, but he is very patient, desiring that none would perish. 
And so we get to this, this verse in here that has some, that, that causes some trouble, that Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. It's easy to see the near in that. That the generation of those hearing, many of them were still alive when 80, 70 occurred. And in speaking of a future generation who would go through, who will go through this tribulation. That they will endure. They will hold high the name of Christ. And they will welcome Christ back. But here's where our absolute confidence comes from. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Think of it this way. This word of Christ will outlive not just the United States, but North America. Not just a political power, but a continent. It will outlive Everest. And so as we are waiting, as it is taking longer and longer, we can go back and we can say, Christ's word will not pass away. And so I can know this is still happening. This is still going to go. I can, I'm watching. Lord, are you going to return next year? Lord, is it going to be soon? And as it feels like it gets, like, Lord, it feels almost forgotten. I can go back and I can say, no, the Lord's word is sure. He keeps his promises. This will happen. If is not a question. Either from heaven or from earth, we will witness the return of Christ. We wait watchfully with absolute confidence. Now, while we wait, we need to know our limits. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of people that need to make that their life verse. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Do you realize how far down the pay scale we are in this? Years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a contractor. One of his clients was so convinced the rapture was going to happen that fall, she was starting to hoard barrels to fill water to leave for people in the tribulation. That lady today probably still has barrels of water. Years later... There's a great theologian named Josh Earhart <laughs> that whenever someone makes a prediction that the rapture is going to happen this day, he'll go, well, I can make plans that day. The, ra- the Lord is not returning that day. I can make confident plans that that will not happen. I mean, how confident do you have to be? This is like unbelievable amounts of confidence to be like, you know what? The angels don't know. Jesus doesn't know. I got it figured out. Let me tell you. Throughout time, many 
who read this passage, who read Peter's telling that the Lord counts time differently, they still say, hold my grape juice and set out and make very confident assertions. I remember in March of 2020, while everything was shutting down, a friend of mine who lives out of state, so you don't need to speculate which church this was in town, he lives out of state, a member of his small group starts texting all the guys in the small group. Christ is coming back this fall to judge Babylon, which is the American church, and like going off on like legitimate tirades about this. So that was March of 2020, Christmas of 2020. I asked him, I was like, hey, how's that guy in your small group doing? Like, where's, where's he at in all this? Is he, like a year later, I was still like, hey, is he still talking like that? Or is he calmed down? Like, we need to know our limits. We need to look at this, not just as like we are too small to know it, but that God is gracious enough to not tell us the exact day. Can you imagine the nightmare that would be if we knew? Can you imagine the pride that would well up in our hearts if we knew the day? I, can you imagine, like, it's the lack of evangelism and mission that would unfold if, had we lived in the 1600s knowing Christ wouldn't return for another, let's say, 700 years? How lax we would get in our work. Or can you imagine the new forms of legalism that would develop? By not knowing, we are able to live with expectant hope. We are able to live if we would let the Lord work in us with an appropriate gospel urgency, knowing that it could be next week, it could be next year, it could be in five years, either way, we have work to do. We're not finished. We are able to hold more loosely to the world. And we are able to hold the heaven more tightly. Knowing that at any any moment, I could, I could lose this world for heaven. What a great reality that is to live in. We can, with not knowing when Christ will live, live lives that are more aware of his return. Live lives that are more obedient, that have an expectant longing. I'm so grateful for those who are alive in America, those believers in the 1950s and 70s who lived with an urgency for the gospel based on Christ's return. Because, be, because of that urgency, they were vocal with the gospel and they led to Christ those who led me to Christ. That in the 50s and 70s had people not been urgent with the gospel. Perhaps those who led me to Christ never would have heard the message of salvation to begin with. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so prayerful that, that we would have an expectancy of not knowing that would produce the motivation so that while not knowing our limits... That was a new noise. While not knowing our limits, 
that we would be about the right work. The emphasis here, as Christ wraps up this message, isn't that we would go into hiding from temptation, go into hiding from tribulation, go into hiding from suffering, but that we would be about the right work. Be on your guard. Keep awake. Verse 33 opens. This is an emphatic statement. We need to know that our lack of knowledge produces a sort of awareness. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know from what side. So I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be listening. Not in some sort of paranoid state. Not like we said, not like as a meerkat looking for what's going to eat me. But looking for what is the Lord doing? Where is the Lord at work? Where is the Lord coming from? So our lack of knowledge needs to produce an awareness that is alert, that is on guard. Not like a doomsday prepper that has five-gallon buckets of lentils in an underground bunker that the government doesn't know about, but they're willing to put it on a reality show. Kind of weird, right? Not like a doomsday prepper. So convinced the world's going to fall, living a chicken little existence. But as someone who's awaiting an inspection. Someone who's waiting for the boss to come and say, show me what you've done. Let me see your work. And I hope that we as believers live in more fear of the Lord and readiness for him than we do some sort of IRS audit that may or may not happen. And so Jesus inserts a tiny parable here to drive the point home. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves his home, he puts his servants in charge. You guys take care of the place. Keep the grass mowed, keep everything clean, keep out the pests and the rodents. Be about the business of the house, providing what this house provides for those around it. Keeping things secure. Keeping out the robbers, keeping out those who would, who would have bad intentions for the house and bringing in those who can benefit from the house. He leaves his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper, stay awake. In this parable, we are the servants. The Lord has left. The master's left the house. And he's given us work to do and a charge to be on guard and to be alert, be awake. So what does it mean for us to be awake and on guard? It does not mean that we should fill our bodies with canned energy drinks. It does mean that we should be diligent and intentional about the work of our master. And I want to lay this out in two places. The work of our master here, first and foremost. That we be intentional about the work of our master. And it's the work of our master in our hearts, in our lives, in our community as Westchester Church that we be intent 
and working on studying the Word of God to live lives of holiness, both here in the church and in our homes as believers, that we be serious about the work of repenting of our sin, that we take seriously Sin, where it crops up in our hearts, that we deal with it to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry I've been giving my eyes to that. Lord, I'm sorry I've been lazy in my spiritual disciplines. Lord, I'm sorry I've been neglecting evangelism. Lord, I'm sorry I've been so selfish and greedy with my material possessions. Lord, would you change this work in me? Lord, would you, would you forgive me of my reliance on, on, on chemicals? Would you put my reliance on you? Would we repent and be serious about that? Would we be serious about the work for caring for one another? That there are commands in Scripture to believers that we lift one another up, that we bear one another's burdens. Would we be serious about bearing with one another in love when we don't easily get along? It's really easy to get into a mindset, especially in our culture, in our Western Christian culture, that I show up to church so that I can sing songs to God, maybe get some fun, warm fuzzies while I do it. I hear a teaching that challenges me, maybe gives me like just that right amount of discomfort where I'm like, oh, that stung a little, but in a good way. And so I have something I can grow in. And then we go home. Get our hot wings, watch our football. Do other things that are less worthy than hot wings and football. And then we come back the next week and hit repeat. And so we get the idea of coming to sing to our God and to be challenged by his word Although I fear that so many times we keep that at a somewhat superficial level. But do you get this? That we don't just come to worship and hear the word, but we absolutely also come for each other. That when you show up on a Sunday at Westchester or at Avenue Church down the street, whatever its name is, that you show up to be engaged with the other believers who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been commanded to love you, to bear with you, to point you to the Lord, just like you've been commanded to love them, to bear with them, and point them to the Lord. Would we, Westchester, when we, when we meet, because our master is returning, because we have been tasked with these these work assignments as his people, as his servants, would we take seriously so much the body of Christ that we would come to church with an expectation of who can I pray for? Who's weak can I hear about? Who can I tell my burdens to knowing that they're gonna care for me? That when we'd gather together, we would do so to build one another up to stir one another up to love and good deeds and to celebrate the goodness of our God. 
Could we come with that? I think if we come with that, that expectation of I'm going to build up my brother and sister in Christ, we're going to stir one another up to love and good deeds, we're going to celebrate the goodness of our God, I think a lot of this work is just going to start coming out. Gathering is not about filling pews. Gathering is about the body of Christ caring for each other. And I know I'm like bordering on tangent here. I'm not bordering, I'm going into tangent. But when we look at the work that we're set as believers, we oftentimes jump straight to missions. And that's good work. But we absolutely need to focus on the work that we have among each other. Because we, we, have, we have some commands to go abroad, and then we have a whole bunch of commands on what it means to be a body of believers living life together and pulling and pushing each other towards the Lord. So we need to take that seriously. So there's the inward work, and then there's the outward work. That as we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. That we would make disciples of Christ, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. And we wouldn't just do it across the street. We wouldn't just do it in our homes. But we would do it among every nation. That we would be serious about the outward work of justice for the poor in our city. Of caring for those who Christ has deemed as the least of these. Those who are sick, those who are in prison, those who are sojourning. Would we care about them as much as our Lord does and as much as he has told us to? It's interesting that as we look at this emphasis, this parable, this strong word of stay awake that the Lord has here at the end, we need to remember that this is all in response to the question of, Jesus, when's the temple going to get knocked over? How are we going to know when that's coming. And Jesus, after going through, well, here's some signs it's going to happen, here's what it means it's going to happen, and telling the future greater fulfillment as well of, of his own return, <clears throat> that in telling all of that, he wraps it up with, so stay awake and be about the work of the master. Be about the right work and be prepared. While you wait, know your limits. Be about the right work and be prepared. There's a strong therefore here in verse 35. Therefore, stay awake. Not because the people you want to see in power aren't in power. Not because there's going to be great suffering not because you're going to be persecuted for your faith. It, he doesn't tell us to stay awake for these things. He tells us to stay awake because the master is going to come back when we don't expect it. Our alertness, our awakeness, our diligence needs to be heaven motivated. So many times. I hear so many motivations pertaining to the return of Christ that are motivated by what's going on in the world. 
and what may be going on in the world later and not motivated on the words, the master is coming back. The motivation that Jesus gives us here in Mark 13 is squarely the master is coming back. And what's he going to find when he gets here? But listen to this. More than anything else, we need to focus on the master's coming back. And then he gives us fourfold awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master's coming. And then he gives four times that we, we tend to either be going to sleep or still pretty groggy. In the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, in the morning. These are all times when coffee has either lost its effect or hasn't taken its effect yet. We need to be spiritually awake. There is a warning to believers over and over and over again. The Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. The Lord's going to come in the night. The Lord's going to come when you don't expect it. Nobody knows. Even though that weird guy thinks he knows, nobody knows. And then there's this warning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. This is not a call for believers to always be working and always be busy. To never rest. It is a call to be prepared. The Lord clearly desires that we rest. But the Lord also requires that we do the work he has set us to do. When I was a kid, and I was at an appropriate age to be left alone at home for extended periods of time, my mom would leave you know, maybe I wouldn't have school that day and she'd go to work and she'd say, before I get home, and I knew what time she was coming home, she would say, before I get home, you need to have your room clean. You need to follow the directions in the kitchen to have supper going. And there might be like one other task. She goes, make sure those three things get done. Have a good day. Feel free to take it easy, but those three things need to get done. So she'd leave. I'd sit in front of the TV, click, I'd find a movie, I'd find something weird on History Channel, I'd find some ESPN, I'd go do some other stuff, I might hang out with some friends, I'd watch TV some more, and I knew I had to do these three things, and I knew exactly when she was coming home, and she'd come home, and I'd have like barely anything done, or I'd be rushing to like look like I had been busy, but just got overwhelmed by the amount of work. I knew exactly when my mom was coming home. I had more than enough time. She had given me more than enough resources to get the work done. And I just didn't do it. Because I got too distracted by things that really didn't matter. The Lord has told us he's coming. We don't know when. But he's given us a task. And let's be honest. He's given us more than enough resource to complete that task. 
He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the body of Christ. What are those things that distract you? What are those things that would lull you to sleep instead of getting the work done? Is it the pleasures of the world? Is it an ideology of what real success looks like, not biblical success? Is it chasing good things as though they were God things? Is it taking our recreation maybe a little more seriously than our gospel? Or treating things of the world with a greater urgency than the return of our Savior, than the return of the Master? So Jesus ends answering the question of when are you coming back? He ends with saying, nobody knows, stay awake. And so while we wait, let us do so watchfully, confidently, and diligently. Let's be engaged in our faith. Be engaged as a community with each other so that God could work in and through us, through each other. And let us be engaged with our world that none may perish. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help in these things. And we thank you that you have given us abundant resources. That you haven't withheld anything. You haven't even withheld your own son from us. And so, Lord, would you help us? Help us to be focused on you. Help us to not have a worldly forgetfulness with the return of Christ. But, Lord, that we would wait watchfully with confidence. And, Lord, that we would be about your work awaiting your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.